Genesis chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you and take them to open up and turn with me. We'll be focusing this morning on verses 4 through 9. I want to welcome every one of you to Big Woods this morning, especially if this is your first time visiting with us. A special welcome to you. Beautiful, beautiful day out there today. Tell you what, you know what I found? This is interesting. Cold, dark, wet, windy. You guys always show up when it's horrible weather. I am praying for blizzard upon blizzard upon blizzard. Okay? We have much ground to cover. Let's bow our heads and pray before we dive into our text this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you once again for this opportunity you've given to us to just gather the kind of loose, fragmented ends and thoughts of our minds to focus everything on you. We thank you for the time we've had to lift up voices in praise. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder to the little ones of the beautiful gift of salvation offered through Jesus. And now as our text is open before us, Lord, I would plead for help that you would give clarity of thought and mind and speech. May I be simply be a vessel that is filled up by your spirit and poured out for your glory. Please guide my mind and my mouth. May all of this be for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. <clears throat> Last week, we were introduced to a key character, not only in Old Testament history, but the entire history of the world. And we considered seven promises that were given, seven I will statements that the Lord offers to this man, Abram, as he calls him to obedience. And therefore, he's laying a foundation to the introduction of the coming Abrahamic covenant that we will read about later in Genesis chapter 15. Last week we saw this first I will, this first promise, I will show you in verse 1. And it's bookended by the last promise that we'll consider today in verse 7. I will give you, I will show you, and I will give you. Therefore today's text, verses 4 through 9, is closely connected to verses 1 through 4. And it's really the ultimate show and tell. God is showing, God is telling, God is speaking, and Abram is listening. And thankfully, Abraham is an example for you and I, proving the importance of what Scripture teaches us many years later in James chapter 1, that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Abram this morning is a doer. And we can learn from him. In these few verses we'll read, there's a lot happening. There's much movement. 800 miles are traveled. There's a caravan of people, extended family, animals, multiple lands. Two altars are built. And one very important promise that is offered. And as a result, we learn we learn about this man, Abram, a man of God. A man who trusted God, a man who obeyed God, and perhaps most importantly, a man who worshipped God. And my prayer has been this, that we together as a local church, 
gathered here. It's called Big Woods Bible Church. Someone was telling me the name on the phone the first time I ever even heard of Big Woods. I'm like, Big Woods? That's a church? Like, that's the name of your church? Big Woods? And I was making fun of you before I even knew you. It's this local church that God in his grace has called us together. He has placed us where? In Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. First world, western, 21st century, post-Christian, rural, middle-class America. And my prayer is that we would learn this morning to be like this man, Abram. That regardless of the command that we hear from God, regardless of the cost that it's going to take, regardless of the amount of sacrifice, regardless of the society that surrounds us, that my prayer is that you and I too would become true worshipers of the one true God. That's my heart's prayer for us as a body this morning. Go with me into the text. We begin in verse 4. Genesis chapter 12, the word of the Lord. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there, he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going, toward the Negev. The word of the Lord. First of all, I want you to see how Abram obeys unconditionally. There is no condition surrounding his obedience. He is willing to go. Remember here, let's let's set the scene just a little bit. If you recall what's happened, this whole blessing of really, really long life thing that we've kind of learned earlier in Genesis. Adam lived 930 years. Seth lived 912. Methuselah lived 969. Noah lived 950 years. All of that blessing of long life thing, that's gone. Okay? The results of the curse were beginning to catch up. So what does this mean? Remember, Abram lives a fraction of the life that the other guys live. He lives a total of 175 years. And we know his age right now, so what does this mean for us? I'm trying to be, like, politically correct here. I don't want to be guilty of ageism. But what? He's not a young guy. 
He's not some youthful, strong, vibrant, let's just get up and go. He's already well into his years. And we know, and I'm sure you can testify of this, everybody hates moving. It seems like at some level, a curse. It is not easy, and it is not fun. Plus, in Abram's day, there is no what? United van lines to call. Could you pick up this stuff for me? There's no three men in a truck. There's not even a U-Haul to rent. And we know what? That Abram is not traveling light. First, he's got his wife, which, gentlemen, let me remind you, when you move, it's a wise idea to take her with you and all of her stuff, her books and her decor and her recipes and clothes and shoes and pots and pans, all of it. On top of this, who else is with him? If you recall earlier, Abram is the oldest son. His brother Haran has died. His brother Haran had a son whose name is Lot. What is the big brother's responsibility? To take care of his little brother who is now passed on to take care of his family. Thus, Lot and all of his family as well. Not only that, but there's this unique phrase. They brought everything all of their possessions they gathered and the people that they had acquired. Right there, people hear Old Testament and they pounce on that. How dare they acquire, what is this speaking about? This must be the promotion. Slavery in some way. There's been much conjecture and speculation over this. Let me make a very clear statement. Umberto Casuto, a Hebrew scholar who wrote a commentary in the book of Genesis published in Jerusalem in 1989, translates actually closer the souls that they had won in Haran. Which is speaking of what? This would speak of those who were kind of surrounding the faithfulness of Abraham, who were listening to his testimony of Yahweh, saw him place his faith in Yahweh, and were actually converted to Yahweh. Let's not throw stones too quickly here, people. Well, we don't know the exact number, but we do know that Abram was a wealthy man. He had much livestock in chapter 3, verse 2. Chapter 13, excuse me, verse 2, there were herdsmen as well. How many herdsmen to watch a lot of sheep and a lot of cattle? In chapter 14, verse 14, it also says that he's traveling with trained men. A wealthy man oftentimes would have his own security detail, probably soldiers. It actually says in in chapter 14, verse 14, that there's 318 just soldiers traveling with them now put all of this together and it means what this is not some light fast trip this is not a little caravan of a couple wagons and a few camels here but rather counting family and herdsmen soldiers as well as their families supplies goats and sheep and oxen this is a mass of people i would say this is a mess of people chaos would ensue just imagine that think of our road trips today 
Think of our traveling today. We travel in air-conditioned what? Pacifica's Subarus. We have flat screens for the kids in the back. We have Wi-Fi. We have personalized playlists. We have regular bathroom stops. We have sheets to go to. We have Pringles. We have Go-Gurts at our hands. We have multiple flavors of Pringles. We should be able to travel anywhere at any time, and yet it's still constantly complaining. Just think for a moment. Just think for a moment. This is where we have to kind of leave the comfort of our seats and enter the Old Testament world hundreds of miles in a desert. Walking or riding on the back of a camel or a donkey or sitting in a wagon. There is no GPS. This is hot and sweaty, and there's pots and pans that are rattling, and there are cousins, and there are kittens, and guess what? Abram does it. He, he, he does it. He left his home, familiarity, comfort. He never once, we know, as we heard in the testimony last week, got caught up in the idolatrous and the wickedness that surrounded him in Ur, and he fully and completely obeyed God's call in his life. What is this? This is faith upon faith. These are steps taken that you and I can and should learn from. Hebrews 11, verse 8, I read it last week, and he went out not knowing where he was going. A summary is what? Think about this for your life, like Abram's life. Lord, Lord, if that's what you want, I'm good to go. Just, just pause for a moment in your life. If that's what you want, Lord, I am good to go. To go, which leads me at some level, it, it forces me to ask when you hear the voice of God speaking to you, calling you, primarily from His Word or others that affirm that Word, what is your reaction? I could even say this what is your reaction time? And it may not be, I understand, I totally get it. It may not be you having to pack up, what, all the pots and pans and take the, the pictures off the wall and head off to a faraway land. It may, it may be that, it may not be that. But it may simply be what? The Lord speaking to you to go out of your comfort zone, to walk across your street, knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, you got any place to go for Christmas? You can hang with me. We'd love to have you over for dinner. Maybe it's, it's just that. Maybe it's a simple step of obedience that you know you have what kind of stopped your ears to. Maybe it's what? The Lord is speaking to you about the confession, the needed confession and repentance of sin in your life. And you're hearing that over and over again. And we kind of just stop our ears. Maybe it's a commitment or an opportunity that has been presented to you to serve the Lord, to serve others more than you serve yourself. Maybe it's the Lord calling you to sacrifice, to give something up. 
I got nine of them. Believe me, I can spare one for, for somebody who needs it. Personally, I have witnessed, and at some level, and I want to be gentle with how I say that, but I, I, I have witnessed firsthand far too many people that are very quickly dismissing the word of God in their lives and the call of God in their lives because what? I don't exactly know. I've not, I've not heard his voice. I'm not sure if I've heard his voice or not. I just, I just can't seem to hear it. Well, turn off some of the distractions around you and spend time alone and you'll hear the voice of God. From experience, I can tell you that's true. Other times the excuse is what? I just, you know, I just, I just don't fully understand what God is doing. Like, I don't fully understand. I have to understand it in order for me to obey it. And there's too much by way of this slug of details it just, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. It's too hard. It can't possibly work. Therefore, what happens is this. Our obedience, we realize, is very quickly connected to our convenience. Our obedience is quickly connected to our convenience. If it's convenient, if it fits in my mind, my schedule, I tell you what, this whole move thing that Abram and his family was called to was not convenient in any way. You can be assured of that. Many people say, I'm, I'm, I'm willing. Listen, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm willing, but I just, just the timing is not right. One of the many blessings my mom, who went home to be with the Lord this past spring, passed on to me was a love of people and particularly biographies historical biographies and so as a child I was I was raised on and I was caught up in and I read all of the biographies of the greats the George Mueller's of the world the great missionaries the William Carey's and Hudson Taylor's and and Jim Elliott's and and I was reminded once again of Adoniram Judson one of the great missionaries, one of the heroes of our faith. Listen to his testimony just a little bit and think about how convenient it is to totally, to fully and wholly respond to God's word in obedience. Adnaram Judson spent almost 40 years in Burma, present-day Myanmar. During his ministry, he helped lead hundreds of Burmese and people from the Karen tribe to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Translated the Bible and other Christian writings into two different languages. Wrote numerous booklets and tracts and a variety of theological topics. And encouraged many in America to unite for the sake of global missions. Listen to this. But the Judsons were frequently acquainted with sickness and suffering and even death. They lost Three children. After falling gravely ill, Nancy, his wife, spent two years in America convalescing. Shortly after Nancy returned to the field, war broke out between Burma and England. In 1824, the Burmese emperor imprisoned nearly all Western men as presumed spies for the British government. This included Adniram who spent 19 months in two different prisons, including one overseen by convicted murderers who had been spared death in exchange for serving as jailers. You want to be watched out by those guys. Many prisoners died. 
But Nancy's devotion kept Adoniram alive. She pestered and she begged so that she could provide food for her impoverished, imprisoned husband. She even managed to give Adoniram his personal pillow into which she had sewn his translation of the Burmese Bible. All the while, Nancy was nursing an infant and raising two orphaned Burmese girls. Adoniram was eventually released from prison so he could serve as a translator for the peace negotiations between Burma and England. But at the end of the war, it wasn't the end of the Judson suffering. Nancy died in 1826, followed by their two-year-old daughter, Maria Judson, who died six months later. Now, now this is, these are our spiritual forefathers. Like, that's, that's, that's a modern-day Abram in, in many ways. Lord, I will go regardless. Let me just ask you, how are you personally? Don't elbow the person next to you. How are you doing personally in obeying God unconditionally? How quickly? Or should I put in parentheses, how hesitantly are you in following the Lord? How willing are you to sacrifice for the Lord's call in your life? Please, please hear me. I, I don't want to add more burden upon your burdensome life. I want to encourage you throughout the pages of the Psalms. I've been meditating on the Psalms this whole fall, just slowly reading over and kind of marinating and bathing in it. This week I read in Psalm 105 about the many promises of God that he'll speak to us and carry us and hold us. And he calls us out, but it says what? Touch not my anointed ones. And we know that that's not physically. We know spiritually we will be safe. When God calls us into his will. Secondly, Abram exemplifies faith wonderfully, masterfully, beautifully. What does that look like? What, what, what should I anticipate or what can I anticipate when God calls me unto himself in full obedience? Abram's journey into the land of Canaan provides us this morning essential knowledge on what to expect when we take these steps of faith. In a sense, like, okay, I'm in. What am I in for? Let's just be totally honest here. First, you will understand what? Just want to, just want to break the ice easily for you. A, hostilities and enemies await you. Know that. Remember that. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. Then there's this little phrase that's rather interesting. It kind of stands on its own, its own sentence. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, in verse 6. Now this information here is intentionally added to make sure that we know what this is not God just kind of letting Abram be introduced to the new neighbors that he's going to be taking an apple pie to. 
Okay, this information is here not to kind of begin to describe the unique community of diversity that will exist in the land of Canaan. That's not why it's there. That information is there, that one sentence is there not to speak about the, the ethnic, ethnically diverse restaurants that will be in the new home that you've moved your family to. No, actually, God, God, is, God is saying right here, and he's saying right now that this land, look around, that I'm going to give to you and your offspring to possess, is actually possessed by someone else. And guess what? They don't want you here. That's what he's telling us. Now it's interesting as well, as well adding to this realization, there's this mention of this, this tree, the Oak of Morah. We travel to the Holy Land today, and somebody will claim this is the Oak of Mora. I would really question that personally. But, but at this point, there was this mention of the Oak of Mora, which at some level automatically should and would strike terror into someone's thinking. You see, this word Mora means teacher or oracle giver. And it's talking about the fact that in this exact spot, probably under this exact tree the godly godless wicked canaanite cults would gather together to hear the oracles to hear the words that the soothsayers would say as a result of hearing the rustling of the leaves okay and then what they would do if they would hear the rustling of the leaves is that they would then take the liberty to pronounce curses and destruction upon others. It's quite interesting that it's in this very spot, in the middle of the promised land, where corruption was present, evil was present, that Abraham lands. Wait a minute, didn't Abram just leave a wicked place in Ur? We learned about that. And he goes into this, this hostile environment. Isn't it kind of at some level, like Christians today, this morning, you or I who hold to the whole counsel of Scripture and are being what? Marginalized and ostracized in our own country. Isn't it quite interesting that Abram is oftentimes described as an exile, kind of one who's moving through, kind of like he doesn't belong here, much like you and I are exiles moving through. Our hope is on the promised land. Remember, remember this. The work of God does not cease in the midst of evil and hostile environments. I'm not quite sure how else to say this. I think I've told you over the years about a thousand times. I, I don't know exactly, but Scripture is very, very clear. I'll tell you again. It doesn't end well for Christians here on this earth. 11 out of 12 of the apostles were all murdered, martyred for their faith. And the only one who didn't die was already boiled alive, John, and just died of old age. Boiled alive in oil, as tradition would say. 
Therefore, therefore, we, we know that truth. That's why we have to hold on tight more than probably ever before. What else Abram gives us on what to expect as we take these steps of faith? Here's the second thing. God's presence and promises are certain. God's presence and promises are certain. Look at how it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. In the midst of this journey of uncertainty, Abram experienced what is referred to in theological terms as a theophany. I don't want to bore you too much, but theo, theos, God. Pheno means appear. A theophany is a manifestation of God in a, in a tangible form at some level that is visible to human senses. In its most restrictive sense, it's a visible appearance of God in the Old Testament. Often, but not necessarily always, in human form. Notice well that first in, in verse 1 it says that God, God spoke to Abraham. This is different. God now appears, Yahweh, L-O-R-D, capital, each of them. Yahweh appears physically at some level so that he reminds him that I am with you. This is actually the first of several theophanies made to the fathers of Israel. Simply what? Reminding Abram that his presence is powerful. You look around and you say, yes, this land here, we're under this tree. This land is filled with people who hate and they hate you specifically. And he says what? I'm going to give it all to you. I want us this morning, my prayer as a local church, is that we hold tightly to this truth. The promises of God do not come with an assurance of ease and comfort, but rather they come with something that is far greater. And it is the assurance of his very presence. His presence. I will not leave you. The author of Hebrews writes, we celebrate what? Matthew chapter 1. God with us. Multiple places throughout Scripture that my hand is upon you. One of my favorite Psalms in chapter 61 that we can take refuge under the shelter of his wings. Praise God for all of that. Now how, how important is this when we all know that God has called us to be exiles, and yet we live presently in a culture, Walter Brueggemann would say what? Correctly describes, we live in a culture that the dominant ideologies of our time yearn for settlement, security, and placement. That's, that's us today. That's America yeah, yeah, it's out there. We read it in the news, but I want it safe here. I want it secure here. Just, just pause for a moment. How costly do you really think it is to obey 
the call of God in your life and follow Jesus. How, how costly do you think that is? I was, I was literally writing this exact paragraph. And, and, and I looked up, and I just, I, I love the security part. I have my little candle, like a little candle that smells like something good, helps me think. I listen to music. Like, I'm just in heaven writing. In the midst of that, I looked up, and, and all of a sudden, I have a bunch of books in front of me, and I just, and literally, like, jumping out were the titles of certain books that I have read. I've, I've quoted them to you over the years. And the titles alone, Dangerous Calling, Risky Gospel, Radical, Crazy Love, Tortured for Christ, Facing Death and the Life After, Not a Fan, To Die is Gain, and one of my favorites, It Will Cost You everything it's pretty it's pretty obvious here that there's a theme that's running through everything you know what was not on my shelf your best life now or what preflo dollars eight steps to create the life that you want yet yeah, they're not on my shelf they ought not be on your shelf because there's a cost and there's a high cost of following Jesus today. I'm not quite sure if I have told you this before. I think about 1,001 times to my recollection, but Scripture is clear. It does not end well for Christians on this earth. Praise God, what? Like Abram, this is not our home. We're just exiles, kind of tenting and moving through. Consider, finally, Abram's actions in response to God's promised presence. Worship is essential. Verse 7, he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8, he moves on. He built there an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of of the Lord. We know prior to the building of the tabernacle, prior to the building of the temple, that what worship places, locations, were pretty transient. Since God exists everywhere, Abram could, Abram could stop to worship him anywhere. Notice, well, it was specifically at these two spots, the Oak of Morah and Bethel, just 11 miles, what, north of Jerusalem, 60 times. Bethel is mentioned. Bethel is mentioned more than any other place in the Old Testament apart from Jerusalem itself. And it's in these two spots that he just stops and I've got to worship. I've got to respond to God's goodness and grace. And we will see, we will learn that really wherever Abram goes, this is what he does. His whole life becomes one of worship. And we are not told, we're not given as much detail as, as back in chapter 8 when Noah built an altar. But I, I would guess it's, it's quite similar. An altar was, was literally referred to as a place of slaughter. 
It was, a, it was a pile of large stones with a flat surface. And I would again think, like Noah, there was joy in his worship, expressing gratitude for God's guiding hand. It says that he had been called out. But think about this for a moment. Unlike Noah, who was worshiping, responding to God's guiding hand of deliverance from the flood, that's not really the case with Abram. Now, apart from God appearing to Abram, which is fascinating and amazing in itself, he's really not been delivered from anything yet. He's really not been saved from anything. As a matter of fact, the big, bad Canaanites are actually staring down their barrel at this very moment. They're sharpening their sabers as they what? As they see the smoke and they smell the sacrifice burning, which in many ways, I think it would require even more faith. And how strange a sight for these Canaanites must this have been. Because remember how this was done. We go back to Abel. We go back to Noah. It was always the first fruits which means it was the very best. The best sheep were offered. The best oxen given over completely to the Lord as sacrificial worship, costly worship. Can you imagine the Canaanites? It's like, that is a beautiful bull. What is this crazy Yahweh follower doing? Does he know the value of that? You do understand that, that cost? That is what the Lord delights in. And you do understand that, that we teach that. Here, here in, in our church, in this church, in your church, not only do we worship in song, which we do, and we worship in word, and we worship in serving, but we worship literally what it's going to cost by sacrificing. Malachi chapter 3 says what? Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Think about a challenge from God that says, test my faithfulness as you take these steps of faith. It's, it's, it's audacious to hear that. And people are like, no, I just got to hold on here, like just in case. I need a little bit more security and a little bit, whoa, whoa, whoa. You are so wrong on what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. These two people got all wet today. They didn't get a little bit wet. Mark was trying to come up before his head was under. I just plunged him. You're going to go all the way under. You're all the way in as a follower of Jesus. Everyone gather. Watch this. Because what? Our life, our desires, our wishes, our security, our dreams, our visions, our plans, what? We are dead to them. And we walk in the newness of life. Don't say it. Don't sing it unless you believe it. That's what the Word of God calls us to. Thankfully, what? By your faithful sacrifice... By your obedience, 
This is how the work of the gospel continues to expand through the furthering. We are to either do what? One of two things. We go, which means we will help you pack your truck or sell your stuff to go to the mission field. Or what? You stay here and give. They're the only two options. Today we are actually blessed by an example who does both of those things. Praise God for Abram's faithfulness. Praise God that we have what? Spiritual forefathers. Our history. We stand upon the shoulders upon men like this who obey and exemplify faith. I love how our text concludes. And Abram journeyed on. Okay, God, what's next? Like, like it, it's there. It's all there. But God has something in store, and it is too big for you and I to comprehend. I read texts of Scripture like this, and I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to drag bulls and goats and sheep with us any longer. It says very clearly in Hebrews chapter 7, he has no need to offer sacrifices daily since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. How beautiful is that? To know that it's not dependent. All of this is not dependent upon my work, upon your work, but we rest and we trust in the full, finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what, as we kind of tent our way through this life, as we are rapidly and quickly seeing these days and months and years pass by, may we keep our, what? Our eyes fixed on the promise that God has for us to be with him, safe with him forever. That's good news celebrate and sing about that good news father we love you and we thank you for this word we would ask lord that you would continue to work in our hearts allow the spirit to to just do with us what you desire but if there's areas in our lives that we need to confess to you areas that we're holding on to areas of our own safety and security may we trust you and be obedient to you and follow you in faith just as we've learned this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.